You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And we're certainly glad to have you listening in today. And uh, as everybody knows, this is remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And Phil Forsberg, Lieutenant Colonel retired, Phil, Phil Forsberg will have on with us momentarily but before we get started we've been doing this for quite some time now before we start one of our veteran shows we do a little message and little thank you and take a moment to uh, bow our heads and thank our God one country under God indivisible and we Salute, and I'm a moralized a friend of mine, and unfortunately, I've had another friend recently uh, come down with cancer due to Agent Orange, and uh, so let's put those folks in our thought, and any folks that are suffering from anything from their service, or let's think about those that are on active duty right now. So, with that being said, we're just going to take one minute, and we'll be back right after that. Amen. And thank you for joining us in memorying and in remembering those that have served and those that are serving right now. We've got the greatest nation in the world. We do one other thing, and that's sort of to get us up and going. And everybody remembers, anybody that served remembers these. And here we go. Ain't no sense in feeling blue. Ain't no sense in feeling blue. Jody got your sister too. Jody got your sister too. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. Break it on down. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Hey, Sergeant Hardy. Hey, Sergeant Hardy. Tell by your car you like to party. Tell by your car you like to party. Come to the dormitory after 10. Come to the dormitory after 10. Make us clean it up again. Make us clean it up again. Just take a little time to think about it might be a friend. Okay. And I... I had forgotten to change something. But anyway, okay, that should have you up and going. And um, Phil, how are you doing this morning? How about you? I can't complain. You know, at my age, whenever I'm vertical, I'm happy. And uh, that's about about where it is right now. It's. Uh, I think the United States is uh, going to get interesting in the near future. It's already interesting, but maybe more so. But uh, we do love our veterans, and we certainly appreciate those that have served and those that are serving. And one military action known as 
Desert Shield and Desert Storm. We don't want to forget those. And as we always mention, too, as we're thinking about the ones that actually served or were actually deployed and in-country, we have to think about those that were left behind. And the families are deployed just like the individual that actually goes in-country. And we always want to remember the wives or the husbands that were left behind or the families uh, while a son or daughter was deployed. And um, in general, across the board, we just want to thank everybody for their service to our country. And um, I saw a thing this weekend. uh, The uh, lieutenant governor of North Carolina did an excellent, excellent speech the other day. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure you can Google uh, lieutenant governor of North Carolina. And uh, he just gave an excellent speech and reemphasized the fact that we're not – white we're not black we're not purple we're we're americans and that's the way we have to look at our flag and everything else so i've rambled on enough phil how about turning it over to you and let you ramble on about things that happened in um, desert shield and desert storm and how we want to remember them yeah well david uh, like most folks i can only really tell you things that I saw and experienced and from my, my perspective. And so I just like to begin by saying, I, you know, by no means am I, uh, advancing the idea that, that, uh, uh, you know, my experience was anywhere near exactly the same as, uh, anybody else's probably nobody else in my unit, uh, had the same experience I did. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you a taste from my perspective, just since you asked me. Um, <clears throat> today I wanted to talk a little bit about um, two things, um, the Guard and Reserve folks that went and served, uh, and then something about the, the modernization of our equipment, uh, at least in the Army, um, leading up to uh, uh, Desert Storm. Uh, they just 
all seem to be there, you know, and probably not 100% of them, uh, but the ones I talk to just seem to be uh, as focused on the mission as anybody else that was there and pretty darn competent in their jobs. Uh, I was really uh, schooled by learning about the kind of things that we uh, we have prepared our, our planners had prepared us for things that uh, you know in the regular army probably <clears throat> you know would have been a little bit of a waste of time to have them full time but but the skills that they had and the what they brought to the table in the uh, when it came down to the fight uh, was really amazing to me. Uh, just the forethought that went into having things like water purification units. I never would have thought of that. Or, uh, you know, um, just any number of things. Um, and so, uh, and, you know, and today, of course, uh, they have the civil affairs units that are prevalent in the Army Reserve. Um, to, on the uh, surface, you might think that... Uh, Civil affairs is uh, some kind of, uh, well, similar to public affairs, right? Uh, people who who uh, give press briefings and you know put the the official face on on the the, <clears throat> the DOD mission, but uh, that's not at all the case. <laughs> um, yeah. the civil affairs folks uh, are essentially there to uh, be expert in dealing between, uh, you know, our forces and the civilian forces we encounter. And, you know, in a place like Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, that's uh, that's quite a tall order. Oh, and uh, if I can interrupt you for a second, <clears throat> Phil, uh, I yeah. was, when I uh, was discharged, I was in the 310th Civil Affairs Unit here in um, Atlanta, in Chambly, as a matter of fact, uh, and our mission back then, and shortly after I was discharged, uh, they did away with that unit. They said, we don't need civil affairs anymore, and so they, they banned or they whatever they do to stop units. They stopped civil affairs, but then they realized as uh, we went into the Middle East that and our mission at the Three Tenths Civil Affairs was that if we took over a country, or and basically a country, but in doing so, you'd take over cities. And our mission was to go in and reestablish cities, be it uh, the waterworks, be it utilities of any kind, and we would we would set up. An American type or American style city with a uh, city officials, a mayor, uh, board of some sort, and reestablish a city. And uh, now this was back in 1974 and 75. So I'm sure. Many, many, many things have changed, and I don't know what the mission is today, but that was our mission back then in a civil affairs unit. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and of course, when they stood down the civil affairs units, they, uh, they probably, well, I guess they 
thought we'd be fighting uh, the Soviet Union or something across uh, Europe, and um, so they didn't they didn't think that would be all that necessary. It, you know, it's interesting what you bring up about uh, having a, a a requirement to provide all the civil functions of a society because you know step one for the army when when we go into a place is uh well essentially to destroy civilization and then step two once we've done that we need to kind of put back in place what's required to run the uh the civil uh government there and uh you know uh I've, i've done a bunch of reading on uh my personal hero I may have mentioned this before, <laughs> William Tecumseh Sherman. Um, you know, he took over all sorts of areas that he that his army uh, had conquered, and uh, you know, when you take over a city like uh, Memphis or Nashville or Corinth, Mississippi, or whatever, you uh, you know, not only uh, <clears throat> well. The, you're you're taking over a city whose whose state is in rebellion against uh, the federal government. So they had to provide everything from trash collection to delivering the mail to uh, uh, you know police work. And uh, you know by the time uh, by the time Sherman got to uh, to Atlanta, uh, he was about to take it. He wrote a letter to John Bell Hood and said, "Look, I, you know." I'm not going to waste my time with uh, civil affairs in Atlanta. So anybody who wants, uh, anybody from Atlanta who has sympathies in the north, you send them over here and, and I'll conduct them to the north. And anybody whose uh, sympathies lie with the south, they can they can go down to you. But there ain't going to be nothing left of Atlanta. Uh, and that was, that was his logic. You know, I don't, I'm here to fight a war and uh, not to run a civil government. Uh, so, <clears throat> so that's kind of the, you know, what goes into that. But any, you know, getting back to my original premise, there's all sorts of um, guard and reserve functions uh, that that were taken, uh, you know, by the uh, by the guard and reserve forces that came to the desert. Um, and I'll, <clears throat> you know, there, it was a little bit of a shameful time. Uh, in any large organization like Department of Defense, certain cultures arise and compartmentalization of, you know, you know. well, of course you have the Army and the Navy, the original uh, sort of uh, competition over football, but, <clears throat> uh, it, you know, it it, it it kind of permeates out in their culture. Uh, so, you know, the Army is suspect of the Navy and vice versa. And then, um, you know, you introduce other things, the Marine Corps, the Air Force. And uh, so, <clears throat> uh, but then within the Army, you know, you have uh, those folks who, you know, viewed the National Guard and the Reserve as sort of peer competitors for resources. And, uh, you know, uh Instead of uh, working together, in some aspects they uh, they had kind of wa- worked at cross purposes. I recall <clears throat> at the time the Twenty Fourth Infantry Division 
was uh, uh, assigned at uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia, with two active brigades and uh, one roundout brigade that was supposed to uh, was supposed to go with the 24th in time of war was uh, in the Georgia National Guard. And uh, when the 24th Infantry Division got their alert, the folks in the Georgia Guard said, well, we're going to fulfill our wartime mission. <clears throat> and the uh, folks in the regular army were very uh, reluctant, and they, they uh, gave all sorts of hoops for the Georgia Guard Brigade to, uh, to jump through. They said, well, you have to go out to uh, the National Training Center in Fort Irwin and validate your skills. And, of course, they did that with uh, great uh, alacrity. They showed that they they could do their mission. And uh, in spite of that, the uh, the planners in the Pentagon decided that they would rather take uh, the 197th Infantry Brigade out of Fort Benning, uh, which was the active army brigade, and, and send them to round out the 24th. It was a little bit of a, a shameful history. And I'm happy to report that since then, uh, thanks to our last 20 years of uh, conflict, that uh, the Army and the, and the Army National Guard are, are all singing from the same uh, same songbook because they, the Guard and Reserve have been indispensable partners in, in our most recent conflicts. Um, but nevertheless, you know, these things uh, evolve. There was there was a lot of feeling uh, in the regular army that uh, the guard had just been a, an old boys club, and that uh, and there were, you know there was some truth to some of that you know uh, ghost units where folks were getting paid for drill that weren't showing up and uh, you know it uh, <clears throat> not good but uh, a lot of that has been completely cleaned up and I can tell you that uh, the guard and the reserve. Uh, are full partners and working hard uh, at their at their mission. You know, you know. One one thing I'd like to add, Phil, is that if you're on active duty, you expect to be deployed. That's what you're there for, you know. And not to say that that uh, grown men, when they take the oath and they go into the Army Reserves or National Guard, whatever it is. Uh, yes, they know that they can be called up at any time. However, there's a little bit of a difference in, or not a little bit, there's a big difference in that um, the folks that are on active duty, whoever's left behind has other folks that are left behind that they can commiserate with, whereas a National Guard or Army Reserve personnel live in the suburbs or wherever they might live they're they're not on a base they don't really uh commingle that much other than the than the persons in in the unit themselves on the weekends or whatever so it's really a different hardship when a national guard unit or guardsman or the reservist is called up because their wives that they leave behind or their kids or whatever are have not been expecting it necessarily. And so when when this first happened, 
back many years ago, and I just started the station, I kept asking people that were listening that knew that their next-door neighbor was being called up to please offer to help, mow the grass, replace the light bulbs, whatever it might be, if your neighbor is left behind while their spouse is being deployed. Because it is a lot different, you know, that you have a... Talking about clubs, you mentioned that a minute ago, good old boys club or whatever, but on a base, the spouses that are left behind, they have other people that they can talk to. And in a situation of a reservist, those spouses, unless they're really close friends of the neighbor, don't have a lot of people to talk to. So they're different when you're when you're deployed. Everybody, everybody has problems, obviously, but the reservist problem is a bit different from the active duties problem. And uh, by the way, I want to mention the fact too that we work very closely with Colonel Rick White. Colonel is retired. Rick White, he's the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and Rick uh, has been going through some painful times, personal painful times, and we always think about him and the job that he's been doing and we'll be back to doing very shortly. So wanted to throw out a get well quick, Colonel White. And uh, so we'll get back to Phil and talking about the reservist. And, you know, it's uh, a lot of things have changed because of Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Uh, like you said earlier, Phil, there wasn't a whole lot of respect, particularly during the Vietnam era, of reservists. But we could have any of our units. I was in a light arms infantry unit. We could have been called up at any time. We weren't, but we could have been. Well, you know, David, you talk about uh, some of the experiences that the uh, the spouses have, and... Uh, that's true. Uh, they they typically don't have as close a network as uh, as your active uh, component folks. Uh, but uh, well, if there's any guard or reserve commanders listening, uh, there's a lesson learned for you right there. Have a network for your um, for your the wives that, you know within your command. You should keep a database and. Uh, I know uh, National Guard Bureau has an Office of Family Support, but uh, you know, this for the uh, for the guardsmen themselves, uh, they have quite a burden. Uh, if they, uh, well, here, here's the burden: if you if you're a guard or reserve soldier, or sailor, or uh, airman, or marine, if you uh, you know, you you typically have another job that you do to earn your livelihood, and, and you're working toward uh, uh, either retirement or whatever you know reserve component retirement, which is uh, reduced quite a bit from from what the active folks get. <clears throat> but uh, so you have another job, and and that job might be uh, you know you you might be self employed and. If you're self-employed and, and you 
get deployed by you, you know, your business may not be there for you when you get back. Um, you know, your, your clients will find other folks uh, to meet their needs and, you know, it's almost a black eye for your, for your business. God help you if you uh, have a dairy farm or something, who's going to milk your cows? I mean, it, I mean, these are things that, that folks have to know uh, as they go into these things. But, you know, you understand that if a, if a guy was thinking about going into dairy farm and he'd have to choose, you know, if he was going to be in the guard or reserve or, or if he was going to, in fact, uh, you know, enter this uh, venture of dairy farming. Um, also, uh, just, you know, oh, and, and here's another thing. There, there's a law called USERA, which is the Uniforms, Uniform for, uh, Uniform Services uh, Employment and Reemployment Rights Act, and it says if you're uh, if you get called up to go, uh, you know, be deployed somewhere, then you uh, your employer has to hold on to your job for you, and when you come back, they have to make it as if uh, you had never left. You get all the same promotions you might have gotten. You uh, have the same opportunities for schooling, etc. And uh, you know, uh, it's been my experience from from uh, serving as a commander in a guard and a reserve unit that uh, it, this is not always the case. Uh, the the, you know, the companies will. Uh, I mean, some companies will outright try to violate the law uh, until they become, you know, uh, aware of it and, and their requirements under the law. But even still, there's a lot of ways in which uh, <clears throat> uh, employers will uh, attempt to uh, punish uh, guard and reserve soldiers uh, for their deployments, for their, for their participation. Um it's against the law to uh, discriminate, but I've experienced it myself in uh, folks that uh, didn't, uh, didn't hire me because um, it said at the top of my resume that I was uh, a lieutenant colonel in the Army Reserve. And, uh, you know, uh, when I went to this particular interview, uh, every single uh veteran uh, that interviewed in my group, if they were retired from the armed forces, they all got hired. And everyone that uh, continued to have a uh, grilling relationship with the Guard or Reserve uh, was not hired. And, uh, you know, it's anecdotal. How do you how do you prove something like that? But, uh, you know, I spent, uh, well probably eight months unemployed trying to get a job and nobody wanted to hire me back in 2006 because if it said you're a lieutenant colonel in the Army Reserve on your resume, well, you, uh, you're probably going to get deployed and they'd rather have somebody else. It's, you know, uh, with that, we're going to have to take a break and uh, we'll come back in just a moment talking to Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg, right after this. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former 
four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Phil, I want to add, or wanted to add one other thing to something you said about <laughs> talking about the dairy farmer. Well, when I when I joined uh, to go into the reserves, I you know was farming, as a matter of fact, and uh, I wasn't sent to basic or AIT. wasn't sent to basic immediately, and so I had well gotten into my crop and. Um, you know, it's like everything else. People feel like that the military is strictly stone and, you know, if, uh, that there's no, there's no leeway. There's no, you know, it's, it's their way or the highway. Well, I went to my company commander and uh, the uh, first sergeant, who was also the recru- recruiting sergeant for that unit in the National Guard, understood. In fact, he had come out to my farm a few times, and uh, I had a little makeshift uh, range out there. And he had come out, and he and I would shoot some together. And, and um, so I went to them, and here I've got a cotton crop to get in. And uh, my time to go on active duty was coming up. But I was able, or they were able, I wasn't, but they were able to get it postponed until instead of going in November of 69, uh, I went in in December, or I went in in January of 70 after I'd gotten my crop in. And the military, you know, everybody says they won't work with you, but if you're legitimate, they will work with you. And somebody will work with you. And it's like while I was on uh, in uh, AIT and we'd just come back from the infamous uh, week of survival, escape, and evasion. I'm sure you remember that one, Phil. And uh, we had just gotten back from our week out in the field. And I was going by the PX and the headlines on the newspaper that was in the stand was uh, – Texas City hit by tornado, and I got to reading it. It was my hometown. So being in the National Guard in that area, I went to my company commander and asked if I I had one week to go before graduation, and I asked him if I could get an early out to go back and serve with my National Guard unit. 
And he said, absolutely not. So I went to my first sergeant and and uh, asked him, and he said, why don't you go talk to the chaplain? I went and talked to the chaplain, and within four hours, I was on a plane headed home. And it's amazing what those chaplains can do. Yeah, uh, and I think probably the chaplain had a little talk with your commander about uh, his responsibility as, uh, uh, as, and what leadership really is. Sounds to me like uh, your guard unit uh, got it in terms of leadership. They need, they need the head to treat people right um, in order to have the, uh, the folks in their guard unit that they wanted, you know. And uh, so a lot, in a lot of ways, it comes down to leadership. And uh, I'm glad you didn't just uh, let it lie when, they, when the first answer was no. Well, you know, I was I, I was more, for what this worth, more important in being back at home after the tornado than I was waiting around for graduation at Fort Ord. And, uh, of course. You know, it, it just made sense. That's what I'd been trained for, you know, to work with my unit. And uh, so I did, and I loved it all, you know. And, uh, and you're right, though. It, it's... It's leadership, and, you know, you may be a soldier, but you're still a human being, and you still deserve the respect and understanding of, you may not have the rank, but you're still a human being, and and I, I think some commanders don't put themselves in the in the same boots with with other folks, but the good commanders do, and uh, you know they will take it on as a as what would I if I was in this guy's position, what would I do, and what would I need as a commander? What do I need to do for him? And uh, you know it, it's the but I, I guess my point being is that that uh, there is flexibility in the military. If there's a reason for it, it's there. Yeah, <clears throat> and you know, uh, you can run into these commanders uh, and different leaders at all levels that uh, that are inflexible. But I don't think they're taking the long view on uh, the impact on their unit. And I can tell you one thing: uh, soldiers talk to each other, <laughs> and. They don't like to see injustice, and they don't like to see uh, a lack of compassion from their leadership. And uh, you know, the, the successful leaders will uh, will recognize uh, the impact that uh, this might have on their unit, and and find a way to navigate it in a way. Uh, and you know, <clears throat> I mean, the mission always comes first. But uh, at some point, you really have to uh, consider your people because the people are the ones that are going to get the mission done. <clears throat> that said, you know, the other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, David, during our little time together, was uh, the modernization that led up to our, our deployment for Desert Storm. Uh, I know that none of this stuff really was... Uh, 
was contemplated in light of uh, us going to Saudi Arabia and, and uh, then invading, taking back Kuwait and, and pushing back uh, the Iraqis. So, you know, this stuff was clearly developed uh, purpose of uh, countering our major threat at the time, which, of course, you know, was seen to be the Soviet Union. And um, so we wound up with modernization in so many different areas. Uh, you know, most folks are familiar, I think, with the M1 Abrams tank, which replaced the M60 tank that we had at the time. And, uh, you know, that Abrams was just a fantastic tank. Uh, could go somewhere around 60 miles an hour. Uh, and, uh, could shoot on the move with a gyro-stabilized gun and have, you know, about a 90% probability of hit on the move. Uh, could load and, and shoot uh, faster on the move than, uh, than the Iraqi tanks could uh, load and shoot on a uh, stationary on a range somewhere. Uh, just a, a fantastic piece of equipment. Uh, of course, they developed the, uh, the infantry fighting vehicle, the Bradley, and, uh, and its counterpart, the cavalry fighting vehicle, um, to carry our troops into combat, uh, infantry troops and, and cavalry troops. And, uh, you know, it had excellent armament. Uh, you know, when I was in the infantry, we had uh, the M113. Uh, the APC. Yeah, which was, uh, you know, <laughs> the armor on it was aluminum. And, uh, you know, it probably stopped most small arms rounds, but not much else. Um, and uh, the, the Bradley was quite a, uh, an improvement. And then, uh, uh, you know, trucks, we had trucks. We had this, uh, I don't know what the acronym uh stood for exactly, but we had something called the Hammock, uh, and it was just a uh, wonderful, uh, it was eight-wheeled truck, uh, and it was, uh, I think, eight-wheel drive, and, and it had uh, both the, the front and rear uh, uh, axles were uh, articulated for steering, so it steered from the front and, and back axles. Um, just, uh, just an amazing piece of equipment. Um, and it, they, you know, they had all sorts of versions of the Hammett. They had their utility cargo truck. They had a, they had a wrecker. Uh, they had a fuel truck. Um, excellent, uh, vehicle. And then, uh, of course, we had, uh, Blackhawk and, and Apache, uh, helicopters and uh, numerous improvements to the, uh, CH-47 Chinook uh, helicopter. And then uh, and artillery was just amazing. They had gone from from what we call tube artillery, which is cannons, to uh, these uh, this multiple launch rocket system, uh, which had phenomenal accuracy and uh, just devastating power uh, just to blanket an area, uh, just uh, unspeakable power that was put 
put into that. And, uh, you know, all this, this stuff was, was sort of integrated systems that worked together, complemented each other. And uh, it was just, I can't tell you how encouraging it was to go to war when you completely outclassed your enemy. And, uh, you know, and that's the kind of thing that you need if you want to uh, end the ground war in 100 hours, which <laughs> we did. Uh, you know, uh, just the thought of the M1A1 coming towards you would be enough to scare a person. Well, I heard a um, tanker, you know, telling me a story about hey, he came up over a berm, and uh, as he did, there were five Iraqi uh, tanks, uh, Soviet-made tanks. Uh, you know, they were they were in a retrograde. In other words, they were in reverse. You know, trying to back over that berm that they were on, and uh, I think one of them let off a round at this uh, Abrams, and it either uh, missed or had no uh, lethal impact on the on the Abrams. And so, uh, as they were coming down this uh, this berm, they were able to engage and shoot all five of these uh, uh, Soviet-made Iraqi tanks before they could get back over the berm. Wow. And that story had to be told a few places, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's likely that folks didn't believe stuff like that, but I've, I've seen enough of uh, kind of stuff that just, uh, just it's not in doubt what these guys said. I mean, uh, we, had, we had some fantastic equipment, and I really, really appreciate it. Uh, not just, you know, the folks that manufactured it, but the folks uh, and the folks that designed it, but the folks that thought in advance that we would need that kind of capability. And, of course, uh, i like to thank the American people because they paid for it. <laughs> well, so. you know, this is what bothers me today, but... I still think they would come through if the need were there. Um, you know, our country has been incredible uh, from, I, I can't address World War One, but from World War Two, uh, when there was a need, we arose, we rose to meet that need. And um, we went from the Huey to being a almost like a peacetime piece of equipment to being a gunship to being the the dust offs and serving a multitude of purposes in Vietnam and then that that gunship the which it was never designed to be a gunship but we made it into a gunship and then that brought on the use and need of the cobras and uh, you know the helicopter in in war and in warfare and and we were shown the need and we answered the call with that we're going to have to take our last break and uh, we'll be back with lieutenant colonel retired forestberg right after a couple of messages if you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference consider joining the u.s army with training in fields like medical care linguistics and engineering an army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And I hope, you know, I tell you what, interestingly enough, uh, I went uh, this morning and had my oil changed. And uh, I carry, carry a little press pass with me and... One of the guys said, uh, oh, you're doing this. And I said, yeah, and we're going to be doing a show in a little while called Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Are any of you all veterans? And it just happened to be that uh, one of the guys changing my oil was a veteran. He was a Marine and uh, went into Kuwait. And uh, we, we had a little chat. And uh, you just, you know, you never know where you're going to meet that veteran, be it in an airport, be it in wherever they might be, wherever you might be. And we always promote the idea of if you meet a veteran or, it's, or that veteran might be wearing a cap, I served on the USS whatever, you know, buy them a cup of coffee, buy them a drink, buy them a meal. And same way with first responders. You see somebody in uniform, pass it on and uh, buy them a meal <laughs> you will appreciate it a lot more than they will in that it will make you feel so darn good to have done something for someone that's always the first to respond, be it the military, be it the police, EMTs, whatever the case might be. But we are a first responder nation. And uh, I think I think around the world, everybody counts on the United States to be the first to respond. And we do the best job of it as well. So, well, back to I Desert agree Shield. With you there, Dave. Well, thank you. You know, I, I, this, is, this is what makes America so great. And great we, we uh, the 12th of June was Flag Day. And uh, we talked about how many countries, and we'd had a uh, a uh, World War II POW on, and he was talking about his greatest thrill was he knew he had lived through it and was saved when he saw the American flag coming towards him. And, uh, you know, our flag is just so important, known around the world, and... It's a shame when other countries respect it more than some of our own folks do. and uh, But those folks will get theirs one of these days. And uh, we, uh, we just we happen to love our American flag. And uh, I think every, everyone that served, every veteran, uh, they have fought to keep us free they have fought for our american way of life and our american flag and uh it's loved around the world so 
I, I would guess that you had some opportunities to see some of that in uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm of people welcoming our flag. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, and David, you, uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, Flag Day, I will tell you that today, the 14th of June, 1775, is the uh, birth date of the United States Army. So just so folks know and remember, uh, the Army that serves them, has served them for uh, quite some time. Well, you know, if I could get in my BDUs, I might go put them on, but uh, they over the years, they've shrunk. Yeah, I think that's one imperfection that the military doesn't take into account, is that uh, I never, I, I think in the Army now, they, I don't know if they call them blues or what, but they're, they're not the uniform that, that I was given, but it doesn't really matter, it shrunk too. I had a tremendous leak in my closet that... Uh, that caused all of my uniforms to shrink. But nobody would want me anyway, so... Uh, however, I will say, if push comes to panic, I can still type. And, uh, you know, they always need a good typist. <laughs> good, good. Well, um, yeah, I was, down at, uh, I was down at Fort Benning, Georgia, last week uh, on, on the range with uh, an old army buddy of mine and uh, we dropped by the uh, uniform shop there they call clothing sales and um, uh, all the uniforms are uh, sort of uh, foreign to me Uh, they've gone back to uh, something like a World War II uh, I don't know if folks remember the pinks and greens they've gone something Something uh, quite similar to that now for uh, for your regular uh, office uniform, class A, class B, we used to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, and of course, they still have the blue uniform. Uh, somebody asked me, you know, when did they come up with a blue uniform for the army? And I said, well, I think it was uh, 1775. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've always had a blue uniform. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, very, it's quite unique uh, the uniforms they have right now. Um, but uh, yeah, the, they they did a great job of, of modernizing things, and and uh, you know you'd think, well, you know we we buy a a truck or a helicopter or something, uh, and. You know, just because we we had so much life out of a, a, a system like a Huey, I mean, we didn't retire the last Huey out of the Army. Uh, you know, I, I guess that Huey probably served close to 60 years. Um, but, you know, there are certain quantum leaps that you go through, but... You know, we've had that Blackhawk now, which sort of replaced the Huey, and then that Blackhawk you know, the, they first made it into the units in about 1979, I think. So, you know, the Blackhawks already seen a great deal of service. And they keep modernizing it. Um, uh, you know, likewise, the Apache 
cutting edge technology, but you know, things, things, uh, time marches on, you know, F-15, F-16, fantastic airplanes, but you know, those things have got a lot of age on them. Um, you know, most people buy a car or a truck and keep five or six years and get rid of it. You know, uh, your Department of Defense keeps their equipment for well, you know, 30, 40 years. Phil, think about this. If we didn't come up with new creations and new inventions, what would the Chinese have to steal? <laughs> well, they, uh, you know, just our modernization keeps them on the back foot. <laughs> uh, so it's worth it just in that in that respect. Well, and this, uh, this is something that, because we are a capitalistic country, and because we are, quote, unquote, free thinkers, that, you know, you wonder how, how in the world did somebody come up with that idea, and yet, that's what a lot of folks do. They come up with ideas. And um, then we have the opportunity to test them, and then we deploy them. And, uh, you know, like, like we talked, the, the Iraqis think they're, they're, they have the latest in Soviet tanks, and they're many years behind. And uh, Well, careful where you shop. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I don't know that any of the uh, A ones are on the on the uh, on the uh, sellable to Iraq list. Well, but maybe uh, if you can't buy the best, maybe I'll think about why it is you're putting together your army. That's true, and uh, you know th- that's. I, I haven't thought about it that many times, but we've certainly talked about it and thought about it on this show particularly, is what in the world was Hussein thinking that he could take on the U.S.? And obviously, he wasn't thinking. But, you know, and, and I think we're in the same position today. And I'd much rather, if you know, there's an old saying for folks that carry I'd much rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it and I think that's the way our military is we have it and we don't go out conquering countries or anything else but we have it and if we need it it's there and I think this is one of the greatest attitudes a country can have and the individuals that sign up to fight for our country with that, I want to mention a couple other things. Like I said, we work closely with Rick White, the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and also uh, the Healing Wall that's in uh, Johns Creek, which is also, it's in uh, Newtown Park. And Mike Mazel does a wonderful job out there. And uh, the folks at Peachtree Corners, they do a fantastic job of... They have a memorial there set up for for veterans, and we invite anyone from around the country. If you're coming to a, the Atlanta area, put those at least those three things on your list to go see. Uh, it, it's 
it will humble you, I guarantee, and you'll you'll uh, take a different look and, and different feeling of those that would dare to take a knee. And uh, we have sacrificed, so many people have sacrificed in so many different ways. Not one way, or those that have given the ultimate sacrifice, of course, but uh, other folks sacrifice along with them. And we are very fortunate to have the leadership and military that we do. And it's, I can guarantee you as an enlisted person, what it means to have leaders like Lieutenant Colonel Farsberg and many of the others that have stayed in and given a large portion of their lives to their country. And I respect every officer that I come around. I happen to highly respect a major that I know in the Air Force, my son. And uh, I always a shout out for him but uh, you know it just it takes a certain type of person a certain type of family and you know I would guarantee you and it's funny Phil and I know each other on the radio and know each other on the phone but I guarantee you that if Phil was called today this afternoon he would be on the first plane wherever he is need, he's needed. And that's the, the kind of person that is the leader of a bunch of good men and women. My salute to the military. I, uh, I thank you for that, David. I try to be worthy of those words. Well, I have no doubt. And, uh, you know, with that being said... We've we've gone through a whole hour, Phil. All right. And uh, well, I guess we're going to have to meet here again next week. All right. That's okay. a deal. Thank you, sir. Take care Thank and have a did. good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.